If your mornings get a little busy and you haven't had a chance to catch up on the news, we want to make it easier for you to stay informed. Be sure to check out WITF's daily news podcast, The Morning Agenda. Subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. Coming up later in the program, the history of and principles of Kwanzaa. But up front, Harrisburg photojournalist Amanda Mustard's grandfather was a pedophile. Chiropractor Dr. William Flickinger preyed on young girls, including his daughter and granddaughter, Amanda's sister. Mustard has made a critically acclaimed documentary called Great Photo, Lovely Life that is described as compelling, one-of-a-kind, and hard to watch at the same time. In the film, Mustard confronts her grandfather and explores a complicated family dynamic. Her grandfather shows little or no contrition for his actions and says he will be forgiven by God. Great Photo, Lovely Life will be screened at Midtown Cinema in Harrisburg Sunday afternoon at 1.30 and Tuesday night at 7. It also is on HBO Max this month. Amanda Mustard is with us on The Spark today. Amanda, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. I have to say that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and there are very few times where I don't know where to start. The film, (laughs) there's so much to unpack in the film. So I'll start with a basic question. What made you want to do this film? I mean, I feel like I almost didn't have a choice because I, you know, the more that I learned about the, the kind of pain and damage that my grandfather caused, I really didn't want to continue the silence. So as hard as this has been, you know, it took over eight years. Um, I just felt like I I couldn't put it down because um, I just, I just wanted to do better moving forward with my generation. You can't call this a family secret because everyone knew about it, especially when your grandfather went to prison for statutory rape for two years, but no one in the family talked about it. Why? I think that everybody in my family was so deeply traumatized by him, you know, like, yes, there's the, the, he had the attraction to young kids that he did not um, curb the urge for. And he, I I believe that there was some psychopathy at play too. So he was very manipulative. He was very charismatic. Um, He was excellent at grooming and, you know, the grooming wasn't just his victims. It's his entire family too. So I think that the whole family was, very disoriented and um and traumatized by what he did so you know i think unfortunately a lot of families know know the feeling um yeah you describe your family as dysfunctional dysfunctional mm-hmm. in what way i mean dysfunctional in in that you know when you're raised by somebody like my grandfather you know, the the moral compass is off, you know, what your, your idea of love and relationships, it's, it can be very, very warped. That's the kind of insidiousness of, of generational trauma. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, also there was a, a heavy reliance on on religion, I think, to kind of make up for that moral compass. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it helped my family. And in a lot of ways, I think it also enabled the abuse. Yeah, I was going to point that out, that it almost appears as if the family used religion, I hate to say as a clutch, because some people will say, well, that's what uh, religion and faith is, is for in, in hard yeah. times. But your grandfather, for example, said that he would be forgiven by God, that the only sin not forgiven is taking the Lord's name in vain. I think he said the yeah. Holy Spirit's name in, in, in vain. So yeah. even even your mother kind of uh, said, you know, that uh, you got to forgive. You got to get over this. Uh, you know, that, that's what the Bible says, that you have to forgive. And I don't know. It was very uncomfortable. It's really interesting, this idea of forgiveness, because it's a it's a word we all kind of use and think we know. But actually, it's like a deeply different meaning depend on depending on who you ask and in our in the in the faith that I was raised in which I personally no longer practice it's you know the kind of uh charismatic non-denominational evangelical um yeah it's this kind of compulsory forgiveness where if you don't forgive it's it's equal to the sin of whatever was inflicted upon you which I I very much you know disagree with um, and yeah, my grandfather unfortunately exploited the tenets of that faith to absolve himself. And I also, I learned a phrase that was very helpful throughout this process called spiritual bypassing. And it's whether, you know, consciously or most often unconsciously, um, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to use the tenets of a faith to skirt around feeling the like hard pain of something so the praying it away the let go and let god you know all of these phrases were swirling around when i was when i was a kid and and i understand that sometimes these things can be so horrifying like we don't know what to do with it but i i have compassion and empathy for the people in that position but i also am here to kind of like hold it accountable for like that also did help enable him there were people in the film, you reached out to some of his victims, mm -hmm. and there was one woman in particular who, uh, you know, left a message for him that uh, you played for him as a, his assisted living facility. And, you know, one of the things that uh, he he kind of, I don't know, he, he as you said, he kind of skirted around it, but... It was like, well, he didn't say, I'm sorry. And she said, she said that afterwards that it's hard to forgive someone who doesn't ask for forgiveness. What yeah. about that? Yeah, my, my, I, I mean, I love her so much. Her name is Grace. Uh, in the film, her name was Bonnie, but she has since changed her name. And I really, really admire how much she kind of put herself out there to face, you know, these ghosts in her path, her past. And um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, r remind me of the question again. <laughs> <laughs> she said it's hard to forgive someone who doesn't yes. want forgiveness. Yes, yes. I don't think that that was on. That was not on his menu, really. Um, and I do think you know, by the time that I had interviewed him, he's in his eighties. He has spent his entire life, you know, doing whatever mental gymnastics he needed to to sleep at night, you know, and I think he was just very, very warped. So I don't think, I don't know if there was a point that he did feel bad. I, I don't know. I don't think he has a lot of capacity for empathy, but, you know, 
I don't, yeah, I don't think that he was particularly interested in, um, in offering an apology. And also, you know, he was never really given a reason in his life to, he didn't face many consequences. He didn't really have a, a, a reason to feel particularly bad about it. I mean, obviously there is the inherent, you know, we all think we would, but I do think that's why I'm I'm led to think that there was some psychopathy at play where he's just kind of, there's some, there's some screws loose for sure. One of the most compelling parts of the film is when you and your mom go to your grandfather's assisted living facility and confront him. Although confront may be too harsh of a word because yeah. you did it very conversationally rather than in anger. But his yeah. answers, I have to say, were shocking. Very little or no signs of remorse or regret. And he said the little girls kind of threw themselves at him and liked what he did to them. That was the most shocking part. Yeah, he. I, I think he's, again, you know, very warped, very, very warped. And, you know, I will, I will, going down there in this kind of quote unquote confrontation, you know, I, I was approaching this with two hats. You know, I'm a family member that was raised quite normalized to this. And this film has been a process of me denormalizing myself to this because that's unfortunately the nature of these things. And also, you know, I do have journalistic training and I was approaching him with that. So, you know, I was, I, I kind of did my best um, Louis through impression and approached with curiosity. You know, I knew him well enough that anger and screaming and yelling wasn't going to get any anywhere, you know, wasn't going to get me any answers that I wanted. So, and, and approaching him the way that I did is why, you know, he, what he was so open. So yeah, it can, it, it, it's jarring, I think, for people who have not been in this situation and know how kind of complex and uncomfortable and contradictory, um, you know, generational trauma is and having a, a perpetrator in your family. You know, we often see films about, you know, victims of a perpetrator kind of sharing their stories, but we don't see what happens when the family is like related to that person. Um, and it is very messy. It's very complex. I know that there are people that don't like seeing me hug him, you know, but this is the reality of, of the messiness of this. It isn't convenient. And, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, I've been getting hundreds and hundreds of messages from other people who have unfortunately found themselves in this situation that do feel seen. But I, yeah, I do. I understand the reaction too of like confusion and, um yeah horror for people who don't know how kind of messy this is but that was the whole reason i i made this film well you use the word contradictory and yeah. i wanted to bring that up because your mom and sister told your grandfather that they loved him even mm -hmm. though he had traumatized them it's hard yeah. to understand that it is it is and unfortunately like that is the nature of of being abused by someone you love and being groomed by them and, and having those complex feelings. And unfortunately, you know, the way that society looks at this, we expect victims to have very black and white responses. You must want them to be in prison. You must want this. You must hate them. But that just is not reflective of the real experiences of a lot of victims. Um, so that is what I really wanted to honor in this. Like, even when I watch myself on screen, you know, hugging him, like, I don't, I don't love that. Like, I don't love that I felt fearful and small in his presence, but 
what was important to me was really showing the authentic experience of, you know, how kind of unresolved a lot of this is and, and emotionally messy it is. Did you love him? I personally do did not. I but I also didn't have as close of a relationship with him. He moved out of the state two years before I was born. And I saw him a handful of times um, growing up when he'd come to visit. But yeah, my sister's 10 years older than me. And um, yeah, the proximity really makes our kind of relationship very, very different. Mm. Yeah, he moved from Harrisburg and uh, you're your grandmother and your grandfather kind of drove around in an RV. Our guest today is Amanda Mustard. She's from Harrisburg. And uh, her film, her, her film, Great Photo, Lovely Life, will be screened at Midtown Cinema in Harrisburg Sunday afternoon at 1.30, Tuesday night at 7. It's also on HBO Max this month. It's the story of her pedophile grandfather, the impact that his actions had on the family and his victims. Let's talk a little bit about your grandmother. Your grandmother knew your grandfather preyed on young girls, but did nothing to stop it. Was she ultimately an accomplice? I'm going to answer that, but just first correct. The screening is actually the 26th at 7.30, not 7. That oh. is my bad. Oh. We issued a correction. That is on me. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I got that from your website. So, <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. That is my bad. Um, yeah, so my grandmother, in, in terms of her being an accomplice, I have had a lot of conflicting experiences and spent a lot of time kind of working through this. And where I've kind of landed is 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 with a deeper understanding of when you have somebody like my grandfather, and we can look at, you know, somebody like Larry Nassar or Jerry Sandusky. And, you know, if we looked at, um, you know, Mrs. Sandusky, and it's easy to look at them and be like, how how can you continue to support him? How can you, you know, did, did you know? But what we forget is often the case is, is spouses are the most groomed out of everyone. The closer you are to the perpetrator, the more kind of warped and 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 groomed that you are as well. So I know enough about my grandmother that there was abuse with her as well. And and you know, historical context is also really important here. I'm not excusing anything here. Like absolutely, like accountability needs to be had. But looking through a lens of compassion, like historical context, you know, things were very different in the, in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, you know, like we are very, very, like my generation is one of the first to kind of have the tools to start talking about this. And, you know, so she got married to him uh, after three weeks of knowing him, I think three weeks or three months, I can't remember, but either way, that's not a lot of time. And by her own religious values, could not get divorced. So she, you know, and he would regularly target women and children that were vulnerable, you know? So I think that my grandmother kind of just got trapped in this situation. And I know based on that letter that was shared in the film that like, she tried, like she really did try, but of course it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And, and sure, like we could, talk forever about what could have been done but for me you know I've had to kind of just switch to a lens of compassion just be like god like I can't rem I can't imagine what she would have been through like gone through and what she lived with um and it's it's heartbreaking that she wasn't able to protect her kids and then it's heartbreaking that my mom wasn't able to protect you know her daughter and that is the insidiousness of generational trauma and ultimately 
it all goes back to my grandfather. And this is the pain that stems from what one man can cause if we leave this unchecked. Well, let's talk about your mother. Your mother divorced, took your older sister, who was young at the time, to Florida to stay with your grandparents. Your grandfather sexually assaulted your sister. Your sister was bitter toward your mom because she said your mom should have put, shouldn't have put her in a situation where she knew your grandfather was a pedophile. Your mom got very upset when your sister talked to her about it. In the film, <clears throat> your sister confronted her, and uh, your mom got very defensive. Did your mom eventually understand your sister's pain and her feelings toward her? Yeah, we end, we, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but we do, you know, end on a note where it did take some time, but, you know, uh, she, yeah, like they're, they're working on it. And, you know, I, as hard as that was for me to kind of witness, because on the surface, it does feel like it should be easy. Like, how could you not acknowledge that? But, you know, if you put yourself in my mom's shoes and she has a lifetime of carrying all of this stuff. And this film is the first time any of us have ever talked about it. So it was quite jarring again not excusing anything but it's quite jarring uh through this lens of compassion to just start talking about what you've been carrying your whole life and then it immediately switches gears to like oh now you're gonna be you're gonna be seen as an enabler um so like i i get like that defensiveness is kind of protecting all of those unhealed wounds in herself because in order to acknowledge what happened to her daughter she has to acknowledge what has happened to her and the ways that her mom didn't protect her so it all it's all very very messy um and 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 heartbreaking but yes there there is definitely some there's some progress being made well jarring is a good way to describe the whole film <laughs> i mean yes. there are a number of scenes in there and you know just someone today when i was telling them about uh, the film talked mm -hmm. about how courageous you are to make this film i mean Bearing the soul is a bit of an understatement. I mean, everything is out there. And uh, I don't know, did you feel courageous doing it? Did, I mean, you said that you were fearful having to confront your grandfather. Sure. Yeah. No, I was pure panic attack mode that in that moment. Definitely having a panic attack. Um, but yeah, like it was... I don't know. I just felt very determined. Like I felt very like exhausted most of the time. But um you know, I, I feel given that my proximity to this is a, is different than my family is like, I feel like my family are the courageous ones for, you know, because like, and that's the thing, you can watch the film and be like, oh, he should have done this, she should have done this. But really, like all of the family members that are in this film have chosen to go on the record and share this in hopes of helping other people. And I have a, a lot of family members that did not want to do that. Mm. So I really commend, you know, my mom and my sister's bravery and Bonnie's bravery for like, yeah, for, 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 for they're the ones that are putting all of this, this out there. You know, I feel like I was kind of just facilitating it. Your grandfather worked as a chiropractor at an office in Camp Hill. Uh, mm -hmm. One of your grandfather's victims, Bonnie, who now is, is known as Grace, uh, responded to a letter that you sent uh, to people who had uh, young women who had uh, been treated in the office at that time. The husband and wife who run the office, chiropractors, responded with a prayer for her to forgive. I have to say that was awkward. And I, I noticed you looking at the camera. What were you thinking? I mean... 
it was more of a personal reaction because I have a lot of trauma from my own religious experiences being raised in that. And, and I just, you know, it's so, I I didn't want to be back in a prior circle personally, but also I, it, it's so interesting because a lot of this, this film is trying to figure out what was it like at the time? How did we get here? How was this all enabled? And the kind of shock of like, oh, it's like still in the air. It's in this room. Like, this is kind of how people dealt with it then. And this is how they're dealing with it now. And, and I, I yeah, it, it was, it was disappointing. Like I have, a, I do have a lot of respect for them in the ways that they did report my grandfather in the 80s um that and and they took him to court and they got his license removed and that was a really bold courageous move on their part um the way that they uh dealt with that specific moment I wasn't thrilled with especially touching her head um but yeah no that was that was a little personal projection there. I was looking at my co-director just being like, oh God, I really wish this wasn't happening. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I have to talk about uh, is the photographs and the videos you had at your disposal. I mean, you had a trove of old family photographs and video that your grandfather shot. I mean, it really helps to tell the story. Yes, he and his father were both uh, hobby photographers. So we had over 27,000 photos um, and and hours of reels to use. And that was that was the most exciting part for me creatively was was we animated a whole house in Toronto um, and had this whole team of people kind of bringing all of those memories to life. Mm. Well, I I have to say, as I said very early on, uh, that there's a lot to unpack here. It was one of the most powerful films that I've seen. And uh, great photo, lovely life. Amanda Mustard, thank you very much for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. And I will say again, we'll get the time right this time. Midtown Cinema screening in Harrisburg, uh, Sunday afternoon at 1.30 and Tuesday night at 7.30. And it's on HBO Max this month. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a great day.